Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. God is good. Just tell, in fact, tell, tell somebody to your right, to your left, around, just make sure somebody knows that God is good, and that comes from your voice this morning. Aren't you thankful that the choir is back? Yeah, I'm so thankful. Love seeing that choir out there. Man, they did such a good stuff this morning, and they sang, and you guys joined together with them in chorus. That's one of my favorite songs, the song we just sang, You Are God Alone, in the good times and the bad, you are God and you're God alone. What a wonderful privilege it is to know the God of the universe and know that he cares about us individually. What a wonderful privilege. And would you just again celebrate with me the four people that followed the Lord and Believer's baptism this morning? That was, what a special day it's been so far after the 8 o'clock service. By the way, I get to hear the choir again because I come to all the services on Sunday morning. It's kind of a hard flex, but I'm the pastor. I get to do it. Um, After the 8 o'clock service this morning, there was a 20-year-old gentleman. His name was Phillips. He's trying to become a police officer here in the city. And uh, he he received Jesus Christ as his Savior after the 8 o'clock service this morning. And just a wonderful day that we're having here. I'm so thankful you're part of our services. If you've got your Bible... This is a passage of scripture that should be marked in your scripture. You should highlight it. It's one of the most encouraging psalms in all of the book of psalms. It's Psalm chapter 91, and that's where our study is going to start this morning. Psalm chapter 91, and if you don't have this one highlighted, outlined, you've got to have this one just marked in your Bible because all of us will go through difficult seasons. There'll be times of struggle and troubles that we'll go through, and in the good times... And in the bad times, God is God. And so it's important for us to have that comfort of the Bible in our lives. And so Psalm chapter 91, in my life, and for many Christians, is one of those passages of Scripture when we're going through a difficult time that help us remember who God is and instill his values into whatever situation we're facing. In Psalm chapter 91, in verse number 1, the Scripture says this. The Bible says, He that dwelleth... In the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Father, I pray in the next few moments you would help me to communicate the truths of this scripture to these, my friends. Allow it to be a help to them. And Father, I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible says this in verse number one He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. This isn't working. We might need to get some. Um, new batteries in this. Let me see. Who will help run the... Terrence, you did such a good job getting baptized this morning. Let's have your first act of service as a... Come on up here, Terrence. Come on. Give Terrence a round of applause. So the batteries are dead in this. Will you just run out to the hallway? They'll meet you there, get you new batteries. A servant of God, ladies and gentlemen, Terrence, serving the Lord, already getting new batteries. 
Now, what's beautiful about this in verse number one, we believe that this psalm is written by Moses. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see uh, an artist's conception of who Moses is. And point number one is a word from the wise. We believe that this is written by Moses because as Asaph gathered all of these psalms together, he most likely co- uh, chronicalized them by author or by topic. And Psalm chapter 90 is written by Moses. And so the Hebrew tradition tells us that Psalm chapter 91 is written by Moses as well which is interesting because he gives us three points that we're supposed to follow as we read through Psalm chapter 91. Now, Psalm 91, as I said, is one of the most encouraging psalms throughout all of the scripture because it helps us keep a focus on who God is. And Moses, its author, gives us a word from the wise. And there's three words that he wants us to remember as we start to unveil or uh, unpack. Look at this. He's already done. Ladies and gentlemen, Terrence, way to go, my man. Let's see if it works. Oh, look at that. Executing membership duties flawlessly. That's fantastic. The Bible tells us this. The first word that he gives us is the word dwell. Do you see that in verse number one? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. God says here about people who do this action... All of the other things that follow in chapter 91 will follow. And the first thing that he says is that they are to dwell. Now, Moses knew some things about dwelling. Throughout his life, he had dwelt in Pharaoh's house. And then he dwelt for 40 years in a land that was estranged to him over in Midian. And then for 40 years, he would wander and had no permanent dwelling. The word dwelling means to set up your house or to make your address. If you're not from Las Vegas, if you weren't born in Las Vegas, say I. Okay, in fact, the, uh, the most recent census tells us that 92% of the people that live in the city of Las Vegas were born in a different place. If you were born in Las Vegas like me, say yes. Yeah, there's like six of us in this entire audience. Why? Because just a few of us who live here. So at some point in your life, you made a decision that I'm going to move here and my address will be here. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go and visit other places. So perhaps over the summer, you went on a vacation or you went on a trip or you went to California or visit an amusement park or a ball game or went camping some places. But whenever you came back, you were dwelling in this place. This is your address. God says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. They have their abode. They have their residency. Their address is the secret place of the Most High. Can I ask you this question? Is God your God? Have you put your faith and trust in him? Are you part of the family of God? Was there a season or a time in your life when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you said, I know I'm a sinner, and because of my sin, I'll never be good enough to get to heaven, but I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to pay for my sins, and in the best way I know how, I ask him to save me. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Can you say, yes, I'm dwelling with God. He is my address. He is my home. He's the one that uh, I have put my faith and trust in. Moses had to deal with different locations throughout his life. He was born in Pharaoh's house, but as a 40-year-old man, 
because of circumstances of his own making, he goes out into the desert. And this is what's interesting. The Bible says, now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down beside a well. Now, this is what's fascinating. When Moses leaves Pharaoh's house and all of the circumstances and all of the dainties of Egypt that would have surrounded Pharaoh's palace and growing up there, he leaves all the slavery of the Hebrews, and he goes to this place called Midian. He is, for the first time in his life, alone with God. And that's super important, because every one of us need time alone with God. I think it's so important we have corporate worship, but the strength of our relationship with God comes when we have a time alone with him. When is your alone time with God? Recently, I was talking to a young mother, and she said, sometimes I just go into the bathroom and shut the door, and I'll pray there, and I'll read my Bible for five or seven minutes so the kids can't find me. That's her alone time with God. Each morning, I have about a 20 to 25-minute time where I just spend time. Oftentimes, it's walking. Sometimes, it's driving. Sometimes, it's alone in my office where I just spend time alone with God. When is your alone time with God? Because the Bible says here, we're going to see some amazing promises, but they're conditional promises. They're based upon a person who will dwell in the secret place of the Most High. They have a relationship with God. That's their address. But they have some place where they get alone with God. Moses gets away from everything, and he's alone with God. And the Bible tells us this. When he becomes alone with God, he becomes aware of the actions of God. It is while Moses is alone that he sees God doing something that he can't explain. He sees a burning bush, and in this burning bush, he feels the call of God upon his life, and he becomes attentive to his commands. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 6, the Bible says, Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. This is my question to you. Do you dwell in the secret place the Most High? Do you have a walk, an alone walk with God? Or is your walk with God dependent upon what your mom told you you did when you were a child? Or is your walk with God dependent upon what others are saying? Come on, man, you got to do this. Come on, man, you got to do this. Do you have a walk with God? Because an alone walk with God will make you aware of what God is doing. And instead of having a hundred different voices speaking into your life, you can get a hundred different channels. You can have a hundred different podcasts. You can read a number of different books. But that alone time with God makes you aware of what's important to our God. And that awareness will make you attentive to his commands. What does God want you to do in your life? Oh, I could go through this room and I could pick out, hey, you should probably do this for the Lord and you should do this for the Lord and you should do this for the Lord. But God has not given me the privilege of being the Holy Spirit. He's reserved that for himself. He calls himself the Holy Spirit. And so what God does in your life is he works in your life and through your circumstances and through your ideals to show you, this is what I want you to do. But so oftentimes we're blind to it because we have a cacophony of sounds coming into our eyes and we have attractions that our eyes are being bounced to with every different ebb and flow of life. And so we don't dwell in the secret place the most high. Are you in a place where you're dwelling with God? 
Do you know your God? Are you dwelling with your God? Moses says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Notice what he says, number two. He says in verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and he is my fortress. Now, this is fascinating because if you know anything about the story of Moses, Moses was a person who didn't like to speak. Do you remember what he said at the burning bush? He said, Lord, don't, uh, I, um, I stutter. Can we get somebody else to speak for me? But in verse number two, he shows a conditional promise. He says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High, notice what happens, he begins to speak of his relationship with God. I feel sometimes we are so timid in our relationship with God because we're not spending any time with him. And we don't have a relationship with him, so we can only speak about the person we heard on the radio or the person we saw on TV. And so when we talk about our God, our God is an abstract comment that we might see as a relationship to the news or somebody who's uh, famous. Yeah, I know who he is. I've heard about him. But do you know God? Because if you know God, you should be able to speak about him. The Bible says this, I will speak. Now notice what speaking does. It helps remove excuses. You remember Moses said, I am not eloquent. I can't do the task you called me to do, God, because I'm not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since hast thou spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow You don't want this in front of uh, Pharaoh, do you? Like, you want me saying this in front of Pharaoh? Now, this is what's fascinating. When we begin to speak, we see excuses remain, uh, excuses removed, and we also get to see our training brought up. Do you believe that God has prepared you for this moment? Wherever you are in life, everything that's brought you up, whether it's 60 years, 30 years, 17 years, whatever God's brought you, God brought you to this moment for a purpose. Do you know that Moses was trained by the best orators and speechwriters throughout the entire world? Look what the New Testament says about Moses in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, the Bible says, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But notice this, he was mighty in words and in deeds. Check it out. The best person equipped to give a speech in front of Pharaoh was Moses. The best person in the entire world to be able to get up and lead the, uh, the uh, Israelites out of Egypt was Moses because he was being trained in seventh grade how to talk. He was being trained in 10th grade how to deliver a speech. When he was going through college and getting his PhD in governmental studies, he was the person that was being set up and trained in the most eloquent fashion and the mightiest words available. It was Moses that God was preparing some 50 and 60 and 70 years before he was at a burning bush. God was preparing Moses to go out and do a speech and to speak and to bring forth the armies of God out of Egypt to become a land that God wanted them to know 
and to see the power and work of God. And it was specifically Moses that God had equipped for that moment. And this is something you and I have to remember, that God has given you training and the circumstances you've gone through and the heartbreak that you've experienced and even the sin and the forgiveness that you've known, God has brought in your life because he has a mission for you. He has a purpose for you to fulfill. There is a calling on your life. You are not a backseat Christian. You are not somewhere in the back of the bus. God wants you to herald his goodness. And some of us who are dwelling in the secret place of the Most High got to start standing up and speaking about the goodness of our God. And so he says this conditional promise of Psalm chapter 91 has come to those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. They speak. Now notice what they're speaking of. They were speaking with a resolute action that God will help me. Therefore, I will not be confounded. Therefore, have I set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed. The prophet Isaiah reiterates this wonderful truth that whenever I determine I'm going to speak the goodness of God and I share the power and the might of God because I dwelt with him today and I can trust in my God. What a wonderful thing. Now this conditional promise is based upon three things. Do you dwell? Do you speak? Do you trust? Now he talks about trust in two specific areas. He says in verse number two, I will say of the Lord that he is my refuge and he is my fortress. He's my God in him will I trust. Now, the word refuge refers to a temporary structure. It's the idea of like a bus stop, okay? So a refuge is a place where you go and it's raining outside. Oh my goodness, it's raining. Run, 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 run. Or it's 109 outside. Where can I find some shade real quick? Oh, I've got something. It's a temporary place. It is a refuge for this moment. Does that make sense? God is a refuge. He takes care of you in the temporary. But then he says, God is my refuge and God is my fortress. This is a picture of my family and I at Scotty's Castle. If you've ever been to Scotty's Castle in Death Valley, it's the one nice place in that entire barren wasteland. We took a tour of it. And I'll tell you, even in a 108 degree day, there are cool rooms and passages and there's tunnels and places there at Scotty's Castle that this beautiful millions of dollars mansion that was built 100 years ago became a fortress, a place even in a time where, in a place where there was nothing of any convenience. It became a fortress. God desires to be a refuge when that circumstance comes, when that temporary trial comes, but he also wants us to be home base. I'm safe. I'm here. The Lord is present. God is my refuge. God is my fortress. God is my God is the person who takes care of me in the temporary, and he is the one who takes care of me in the eternal. And it reminds us of this, that for every person that placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this whole world is a temporary place. The songwriter said it this way, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Why? 
Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you recognize that the 70, 80, 100 years that you spent here on this earth are a fleeting moment. The book of James says our life is but a vapor. And we can trust God during this life. We can trust God during this temporary time where we live as ambassadors and strangers and pilgrims in this world. But we understand that there is a refuge. There's a real home because Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, or refuge, the same fortress, in my Father's house are many. Aren't you glad he didn't say apartments? I'm so thankful he didn't say, in my Father's house are many bus stops. In my Father's house are many, what's the next word? Isn't that beautiful? There is a fortress for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This isn't the finish line. It's not over. It's not finished. Whenever a believer closes their eyes in death, the Bible tells us they experience the blessings of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a made-up thing. It's what the God of the universe says. You can dwell in Jesus as your refuge. You can dwell with God as your fortress. In the good times and the bad, he is God alone. He sits on the throne. And for those who want to claim the promises of Psalm 91, you have to dwell. You must speak and you must trust in God. Well, what are the promises that he offers? He says, look at this walk on the wild side. Look at verse number three. Surely he shall deliver me, oh, excuse me, he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his features and under his wing shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor from the arrow that lieth at noonday. For the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall by thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is, thy, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation... There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in thy hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Notice the six things that the Lord says happens. Whenever you are in this world and you have dwelt, you have spoken, you have put your trust in the Lord, in this crazy world, the Bible tells us God takes care of you in snares. In verse number three, surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is somebody who's trying to catch a bird, like a pheasant or maybe some wild game bird. The Bible tells us that God will take care of those from the snares. Now, this is what's fascinating. I could probably ask somebody, did you, did you fall into a trap this week? Oh, yeah. And then I could say to somebody, you don't know the trap that you missed this week. You know why you don't know the, miss the you don't know the trap that you missed this week? Because traps are designed to be hidden. And so if you are walking through life, this is so beautiful. If you're walking through life and you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, and you're speaking, and you are uh, trusting the Lord, you don't know what's over here to the right. Oh, it might look like pleasant grass, but it's a trap. 
Oh, it might look like a, a, a beautiful delicacy, but it's a trap. How many wildlife, bears and deer, have been caught because they saw, oh, that smells good. Oh, that smells good. It reminds me of Chewbacca in Return of the Jedi going after that. And they says, it's a trap. Oh, that Wookiee. Why? Because we get attracted by something off that we're not supposed to be into. And when we get distracted, we come off of the path, that's when the trap hits. But listen, you don't know the traps that are out there. And if you say, well, I didn't fall on a trap this week, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Because you don't know what traps are being led because traps are intended to be hidden. So God protects us from snares. He protects us from sickness. At least twice in this passage, he talks about pestilence. The word pestilence is this illness that cannot be cured. I don't know how to be fixed. I don't know what we are going to do. And I could tell story after story. Many of you in this room could give testimony of God's healing and God's grace. When doctors have said there's no hope, when doctors have said we don't know what to do, many people could share of the goodness and grace and the healing hand of God even in times of sickness. The Bible tells us that he takes care of those who are being attacked in a stealth mode. Look what the Bible says in verse number five. For thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night. What's happening in the night? I don't know. Why? Because I'm usually asleep. So God gives rest. He gives peace. He allows me to have comfort. What's going to happen while I go to sleep? I can't go to sleep. But God will give protection from that which is stealthy. He will also give protection from that which is sharp. Look what the Bible says. Um, Nor by the arrow that flieth by the day. God takes care of the sharp things. What happens to those who would attack the believer? This is so amazing. Uh, in verse number seven, you come at the person who's being protected by God. The Bible says in verse number seven, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come thee. Now God says, when those who come and attack his kids, when those who come and attack the believer who is dwelling, who is speaking, who is trusting, God steps in on their behalf and says, you don't mess with them. Whap. You don't mess with them. You don't mess with them. He takes care of his business because you don't mess with somebody who's dwelling in the secret place of the Most High without God getting a little bit angry at you. And the Bible tells us they stumble. And this is a promise. This is not just a nice little word. It's not a little platitude to help us feel better. This is a promise of God. Look what the Bible says. But it shall not come nigh thee. The promise of God brings surety when I dwell, when I speak, when I trust, that God becomes my defense. God becomes my warrior. God becomes my backup. I don't have to wait on somebody else. I don't have to do more push-ups. I don't have to go out and try to do a number of different things. No, God has become my surety. And the promise of God in verse number seven says, but it shall not come nigh thee. In verse number 11, the Bible says this, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in the way. Now, this is a point I don't want you to miss because this is my favorite part of today's lesson. The Bible teaches us that God takes care of those who dwell, who speak, and who trust. God will provide for those who dwell, who will speak, and who will trust. God becomes surety. He gives a promise. Dwell, speak, trust. I will take care of you. 
But there are whispers in our weakness that make us doubt the promises of God. So that's why we always go to the word of God over our feelings. Because our feelings change, don't they? There are times when you feel great and then there's times when you just don't feel good at all. There are times whenever you're like, let's face the day. And then there's times when you haven't had your coffee. There are times when it's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's times when it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's times when it's 98 degrees outside, and there's times when it's 118. The feelings change. And so when our feelings change, and when we're looking for a place of comfort, we can't go to our feelings. We have to go to the surety of the Word of God. This book is the very Word of God. And the Bible tells us this in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You can trust this book. You can't trust me. You can't trust them, but you can trust this book because I make mistakes. You make mistakes. We're all flawed, but this book is perfect. There's not an error in it. The Bible tells us that it was given to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, the Bible says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that one jot or one tittle in Matthew chapter 5 shall not pass from the law until all be revealed. There is no errors in this book. There's no problems in this book. This is the very word of God. And so when I'm weary and I don't know if I can trust and I'm not sure if dwelling has worked and I I've been trying to speak the works of God, but I'm not experiencing comfort. I have to go to the comfort of the Bible because the comfort of the Bible is the only thing that will fix my broken condition. And that's played out for us in a beautiful scenario in Luke chapter 4. In perhaps the most vulnerable time of Jesus's life, he is being tempted by Satan. In Luke chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says this, and the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. For 40 days, Jesus Christ has not eaten any food. For 40 days, he has been in isolation, experiencing the temptation of Satan. And without food and without any type of comfort, the Bible tells us that Satan comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus. Why don't you turn this stone into some bread? Because Satan elongates his S's. <laughs> I saw it on a movie one time. It's got to be true. <laughs> Command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him saying, It is written, what is the comfort that Jesus takes? Jesus has nothing but the clothes on his back, a relationship with God, and his word. That's the only thing that Jesus has. He's not, he's not FaceTiming with Peter. Hey, bro, things are a little bit difficult. Give me a little prayer hands emoji. Give me feel better. He's not able to email mom. Hi, Mary. Be home next week. He's not able to email mom. He's all by himself. The only thing that he has, how does he overcome the problem and the fighting and the temptation of Satan? He says, it is written. He, he, he goes back to a proverb from the book of Deuteronomy that says this, man shall not live 
by the bread, by bread alone, but by every word of God. And he claps back at Satan's attack by saying, the word of God says this, I'm going to trust in the word of God rather than what you got for me, Satan. Now, this is what's fascinating. Satan loves to use that which is closest to you and that which is most important to you as a way to beat you up and knock you down. Three years ago, there was a global pandemic. You might have heard of it. (laughs) And in that global pandemic, there was a lot of folks who took a place and said, it would be the right thing to do. Let's Let's close doors. And being good neighbors and trusting the people who are sharing advice with us, we as a church, we shut down. And for eight weeks, we didn't have in-person services. And many churches all around the country uh, shut down and said, okay, we're get, we'll see what this is. And it took a few weeks until we started to realize that there was not a lot of facts coming through this. There was a whole lot of emotion, and this isn't what they said this was going to be in we think we should go back to services. And during that time, there was a lot of back and forth and should we do and should we not do this. After about eight weeks, we had met as a church pastoral team with other pastors in the city and um, decided that we were going to open up our services on May 31st. We found out that our government was going to allow the casinos to open up to a capacity of 50%. If you remember this, say yes. And so we went down to City Hall, several of our team members, and with about six other churches, we had gone to the Southern Nevada Health District and received a a 13-point plan that we presented to government officials saying, uh, this is the plan that we choose to follow so that you could give us a 50% capacity like you're giving Caesar's Palace or the Mirage. And I share this with you because, in fact, I hesitated to share this story with you because I don't want to be political and I don't want to try to be... um, I don't want to try to be flamboyant. I just want to share with you a season where God spoke to me in this manner. We said, would you be able to give us 50% as churches? We want to be good neighbors, and if you're going to give Caesar's Palace and the Mirage and you're going to give the Stations Casino 50%, here's our plan. And the director of the Southern Nevada Health District signed off on our plan saying, we think that this is a good plan. And we went to government officials. We got assurances from government officials that churches would be obliged the same opportunity that the casinos were. We thought, okay, that's, that's fair. Let's go with it. Whenever the decree came out saying that there was going to be 50% capacity, our government said, nope, churches will only be allowed to have 50 people in them. Rather than 50%, in May of 2020, churches were told you're only allowed to have 50 people in them instead of 50%. And there were a number of folks that thought that that was an egregious violation of our, amendment, uh, our responsibilities as Americans and felt like that wasn't appropriate to us, for us to follow as Christians because the Bible says that we are to assemble together. It's an important thing. Being in church is not the same as watching it on TV. And so a group of pastors gathered together and said, we're still going to have church on May 31st. There was two decisions that were made. There was a group of pastors that said, we're going to be outspoken against this, and we're going to tell a whole bunch of folks. And another group of pastors in which our church was included said, we don't feel we need to go and tell everybody our business. Like Daniel did, we felt it would be good. We're just going to go open up church. Whoever shows up, doesn't show up, doesn't matter. We're just going to have church. And like Daniel went and prayed, we're going to go and have church. 
on May 31st at 5 o'clock in the morning, one of those pastors, he called me and he said, I just want you to know something. We're not going to have church today. We got a phone call from the attorney general of the state of Nevada that said, if you open up church, there'll be large fines and perhaps even imprisonments if you have church today. And so we've decided we're not going to hold services. When they told me that they were going to arrest us, I want you to know, we told them, well, if you come and arrest us, you're going to have to go to Liberty Baptist because they're having church too. (laughs) Yeah, you think that's funny. It's not funny at five o'clock in the morning the day you're going to face it. And I remember saying to him, why did you say that? I just felt like they should know. (laughs) Thank you. And at 5 o'clock in the morning, I hung that phone up, and it hadn't slept well that entire night. And I remember walking over to where my kids were in their beds. And for those moments, Satan started whispering in my ear, that's my family. You're going to be in jail tonight. And what's going to happen to these girls? What's going to happen to that little boy? And how's your wife going to take care of the mortgage? And how are they going to pay for food? And how are they going to... For about 15 minutes, Satan was just beating me up. Made me feel horrible. Taking that which was closest to me and throwing it in my face. You will lose, you will lose, you will lose, you will lose, you will lose. Satan delights in using the most precious thing in life of the believer against them. He does it. If you value your prestige, if you value your income, if you value your marriage, if you value your job, if you value your children, Satan loves to take that and say, I'm going to take that from you. And I'm going to throw that in your face. That's not yours. That's mine. Who do you think you... That's mine. And that's exactly what he did to Jesus. Look what the Bible says. The devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command that thy turn thy bread into stone. Look at verse number nine. He brought Jesus to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from thence, for it is written. Let's go back to Psalm chapter 91. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee. This is verse number 11. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in the way. Verse number 12 says, They shall hear, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. In Luke chapter number 4, we are reading a quotation from Psalm chapter 91. Do you see what Satan is doing right here, Seth? He's taking the only thing that Jesus has, and he's turning it against him. Is the word of God pure? If it is, say yes. Yes. Satan's taking the most pure thing in the world and he's using it as a device to attack Jesus. And if Satan can use the very word of God against Jesus, he can use a whole lot of things against you. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. Had Jesus gone someplace? No. The person that speaks has a refuge, the person that has a fortress, that person, he has to trust in God. 
And so here is Satan. Look what Satan does. He takes the only thing that Jesus has, the only thing that Jesus has, the word of God, and he says, unless at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. He takes the word of God and uses it as an evil device to facilitate his own nefarious plan. Isn't that fascinating? I think it's just important to highlight the tactics of the enemy. If, God, if Satan can use something good, the word of God, to try to stumble up the son of God, what's he going to use in your life? See, Satan doesn't play fair. He doesn't agree to rules. He doesn't abide by any treaty or treatise or this is off bounds. Satan uses the thing that is most important to try to ex- uh, exploit evil means. Now, this is what's fascinating. How did Jesus overcome him? He trusts the Lord. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Look at the last part of that verse. And when the devil had ended all his temptation, he departed. How do you defeat Satan? You speak the word of God. And then you trust what God is doing. I dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I speak the word of God, and I trust God. Now, this is what's fascinating. When he trusts God, Satan hightails it out of there. But the last verse is interesting, too. He departed from him for how long? Because as long as you're here, Chris, there's going to be a battle. Just going to happen, Mike. It's like, well, I I thought I dealt with that back in November. I'm back. (laughs) Because he deals with us, and the only way to defeat Satan is to trust the Lord by speaking the word of God and dwelling in a relationship with him. But you'll continue to fight that. It'll come back. Like, well, I thought I dealt with that back in August. Great. It's August again. There will be continual battles. That's why you have to dwell. Does it make sense? You have to dwell. You have to speak. You have to trust. Look at this. There's a win for the willing. In verse number 13, the Bible says that thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. Satan's referred to as a roaring lion. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 2, he's referred to as that old serpent. How do you defeat Satan? Satan, Satan has his due. De- Satan has his day. The loser is going to slink away. But verse number 14 is fascinating because the Lord begins to speak. And as the Lord speaks, he's been using a narrator through the first, through the first 13 verses. He's allowed Moses to talk testimonially about himself. But in verse number 13, excuse me, verse number 14, it's as if he says, hey Moses, I got this now. Let me say something. And God himself speaks. He says this in verse number 14, because he hath set his love upon me. It's not Moses talking. That's God talking. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. These are, these are the very words of God. It's not a narrator talking about God. This is God talking. And I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life, and will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The loser slinks, the Lord speaks, and the loved 
is secure and there's a win for the willing. Psalm 91 is a promise. It's a conditional promise for those who dwell, who speak, and those who trust. And God desires to demonstrate his power, his might, his love, his strength in and through us. We must dwell. We must speak. And we must trust. And realize some of the tactics of Satan are so nefarious. They come sideways. He uses our most vulnerable. He uses that which is closest, which is most dear. And if he did it with with the Lord, he'll do it with us. But we can trust the Lord and we can see victory because as he says it himself, I will love them. He loves you. He cares for you. You can trust God. So tell somebody about that trust. Tell somebody about that love. Let other people know the great confidence that we have found in Psalm 91. Thank you, Lord, for the time together today. Pray that you'd bless it and use it for your glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.